Today, our guest is a former military doctor who studied biological warfare. She'll explain why she suspects the vaccines are part of a sinister plan to destroy the U.S. She'll also talk about the steep rise in health issues and sudden deaths and the reason she attributes them to the COVID-19 shots. And she explains how the medical establishment works and how that has played a huge role in suppressing true information about COVID-19's actual threat level and the treatment for it. So, Dr. Lee made some pretty big waves thanks to a video interview with Alex Newman and New American back in February. The video, titled Biowarfare and Weaponization of Medicine and COVID, went so gangbusters that the overlords at YouTube and Facebook had to ban it and deploy their cyber henchmen, the fact checkers, before another 5 million people would hear something that might not tell the approved narrative. Dr. Merritt has a rather impressive professional bio, so she's certainly worth listening to. She's a lifelong member of the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society. She's a past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She is a former member of the Arizona Medical Association. She was an orthopedic spinal surgeon for 27 years and has spent 10 years as a military surgeon. She has quite a lot to say, so we're just going to dive right in. Dr. Mayor, your article in the July 5th issue of the New American is titled COVID Vaccines, A Cure Worse Than the Disease. The crux of the article is that the more time that passes, the more dangerous we learn the vaccine is. And uh, you mentioned a huge increase in reports to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, a government database used to detect possible problems related to vaccines. Among the statistics you mentioned are... There were 22 deaths reported in the VAERS in 2018. There were 27 reported in 2019, 26 last year in 2020, and this is the astounding part, 5,888 as of the writing of your article, which by now is some weeks past. Can you begin by talking about some of the problems we're learning about? When you look at vaccines over the decades, there are kind of two groups of things we saw. We saw uh, autoimmune disease and we saw neurologic problems. The biggest payout up until now in the vaccine adverse, um, what's it, what do they call it? It's the, it's the government fund for that the taxpayers chip into to then pay people that have been damaged by vaccines because the vaccine industries are of course indemnified. The, uh, the biggest thing was flu vaccine. It was for Guillain-Barre, a neurologic complication. So although we are seeing some new things crop up with the COVID, it, it, we're also seeing the old things. In other words, if you looked at almost any diagnosis, and I've done this with bleeding, I've done this with death, I've done it with stroke, what else? Um, oh, uh, dementia, paralysis, cavernous sinus thrombosis. I mean, there's a bunch of things. They kind of, the big three are probably autoimmune problems. Uh, well, in the big three actually are thrombosis and bleeding, neurologic problems and uh, actually dying of COVID right after getting the vaccine. There's also a sudden death, you know, unexplained, you know, people just wake up dead after taking the vaccine. A uh, 13 year old just recently dead in bed that night after taking the vaccine. And of course they're saying, well, it's not, you know, you can't say that's causal. How many 13 year olds die in their bed at night? 
just totally normal kid that wakes up dead. That doesn't happen. 85 year olds, maybe not 13. So we're seeing a lot of that. Anyway, my point is, and I just, and I haven't done this for a while, but I'm sure it could be done again. And it would give you the same thing. I did it the first quarter. So I looked at January, February, March, or maybe it was, maybe it was even January, February, March, and April. I did the first four months of 2021. And I looked at vaccine deaths and I looked at vaccine deaths in all those other years for, for these different or, or just problems. Like I say, how many cavernous sinus thromboses were there? And it was things like, and I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but I remember the, the punchline on the cavernous sinus thrombosis, which is where you get a big clot in your brain artery um, in the circle of Willis. And anyway, it was like zero, zero, one, forty. Uh, you know, and anything you would, any, any diagnosis I want to do, um, you know, brain bleeds, you know, it will be zero, five, four, three, you know, and then 650, you know, I'm just making those numbers up. But you see the point is every, all, anytime you do it and anybody can go and do this, they, this is public access and you can go and you can look at a diagnosis and you go by year. Once you get the hand of use the wonder system, you can do it easily. People can use that easily. And they just look at a diagnosis and you'll just find it's just going way up this year. You know, we took, we took um, the H1N1 vaccine off the market for 53 deaths. And we now are seeing, I don't know how, I think we're seeing more than that a week. Um, it's, it's gotten to be quite significant. And, and the other point is, in your risk group, it's not everybody's not at the same risk, you know, because when you look at risk benefit, if you're if you're a person at high risk of dying from the COVID from from a disease and you get vaccinated, that gives you a lower risk, then you've made sense. But if you're at very low risk of dying from a disease and you take a vaccine that you're more likely to die from than you were from the disease. That makes no sense whatsoever. So the people that are under 40 taking this vaccine, this so-called vaccine, which isn't a vaccine, by the way, it's a viral-based genetic agent or a genetic agent of some sort. That doesn't make any sense. There's no risk-benefit world where children should be taking this vaccine. So that's the problem. It's, it's risk stratification. We should... Even if you believe, which I don't believe in the, uh, that they're telling us the truth about these vaccines, but let's suppose for, for a minute, we believe everything they say that this is an effective vaccine for certain populations, it cannot be justified in children. And it cannot be really justified in young people, you know, the people under 40. Have you ever heard someone say, the system's broken? Sure you have. Well, it's not true. America's founders created a brilliant governing system that prevents us from having kings, queens, dictators, and even czars. We the people can replace every elected official in a span of six years if we so choose. Here at the John Birch Society, we believe the only way to liberty, prosperity, and national sovereignty is not only understand what's in our founding documents, but demand that every elected official adheres to them. The reason we have a ballooning, reckless, and corrupt government is because elected officials aren't following the Constitution. The John Birch Society is principled, coordinated, effective activism. We believe the Constitution is the solution. Join JBS and change America. Visit JBS.org or call 1-800-JBS-USA1 to get involved. That's JBS.org. But yeah. yeah, that's the problem. It's a risk-benefit analysis that we're just not... And, and I'm, I get it. I get it. The vaccine pusher is not caring, but I don't get your private doctor not understanding this. 
What, what, I mean, how many primary, primary care doctors see 10 year olds dying of COVID? Why would they vaccinate them? Uh, why are there not more people and doctors and, and, and even professionals who realize this is happening? Why is this still happening? I know the FDA well, just issued a warning about it to some degree, but why is this still being allowed? Well, yeah, and let's, let's just talk about the clearest issue, and that's our children. And I will say that it appears that, that doctors have now, well, there's a couple things. This didn't happen yesterday. If you, if you believe that we're, and I tell this to people, I said, in the big world picture here, if, you're, if you believe we're fighting a virus, then you're going to act like a patient or a victim. If you believe we're fighting an uncharacteristic, stealth, unrestricted war, then you're going to arm up and fight like a warrior, and you're going to act differently. And that's our problem. People think we're not fighting a war. They think we're fighting a disease. That's just not true. And I, and I think it's getting more obvious. But, but the problem here is, is that for a very long time, this, this current war that we're in was planned and things were put into place that made it happen. And, I, and, I, and let me just discuss that. So in the, in the 1950s, almost all doctors were in private practice. And then we had Medicare and Medicaid come in. And then, you know, some doctors over time got working for hospitals, but still very few. 60 to 70% of doctors were in private practice, independent from hospitals until after Obamacare. And it was the, it was the Obamacare, you know, Portability Act, the Privacy and Portability Act, the, the, the whole whatever that was called. That's what caused such regulation that doctors, and I'm one of them, couldn't survive private practice without spending enormous amounts of money for the technology. It just wasn't cost, I just, at my end of my career, it didn't seem to be cost effective. And, and I ended up doing part-time work for hospitals. So that's what happened. So now you have all the doctors herded into a hospital's environment. So they're not their own boss. When they're speaking publicly as a physician, their hospital can, can take offense to that as mine actually did not too long ago. So, um, so I'm not there anymore, but, the, but, the, but that's the problem is that doctors feel that they're not independent to speak. So uh, there's a, there's a three tier pyramid. On the very top of that pyramid are the people that took Fauci's money, the big research arms of the big hospitals. Um, Dr. Fauci over his lifetime, and he's not the ultimate bad guy here. They're throwing him under the bus, but he's just the bag man. He's not the ultimate bad guy, but he distributed $800 billion over 40 years career at the NIH. And who has that kind of allocation authority? I mean, he pretty much could call shots. And so when he gave money to hospitals, if they didn't do his bidding, he could draw, draw that money back. Hospitals over the 40 years overspent, expanded based on NIH funding, and now became dependent on that NIH funding. So you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. If they say you're going to push remdesivir, don't talk about hydroxychloroquine, you know, you can't afford to have that funding withdrawn next year. So you do it. And that's so there's people at the top that took the money that are involved in keeping their hospitals afloat, their, their research arms afloat. They've been bought, whether they're psychopaths and really bought into this whole program or not. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to speak boldly here because I think it's time. Um, I don't know, but they're, they're at least been, been bought and, and they are doing it because of financial necessity from the NIH. Then there's at the very bottom of the pyramid are the, the guys, the kids that are in training, their medical students, their residents, their fellows. They really can't speak out because they'll lose their training spot. And that means they're never going to get it back. I mean, that's not something you can throw away easily. So, and they're not ultimately the authority. So I give them a moral pass right now. But then there's a big group in the middle. And these are the people that are out of training. They could walk away from the hospital. They could go get another job. 
but they got, you know, family and kids and a mortgage and they don't want to. And my argument to them right now is we are killing children. We are killing people from commission by giving them a, a, vi- a vaccine that's killing them or damaging them in horrific ways in some cases. And, and we're killing by omission, by not doing the things we should have done, like prophylax the, the people in nursing homes. You know, the first people to be taken out in any um, unethical medical situation are the most vulnerable in our society, which I've always said, the, you, you know what, how moral a society is by how they care for the infirm and, the, and the, the, the people that can't care for themselves. So what are the first people that we went after with this vaccine program? The mentally infirm, the elderly, uh, you know, the people they don't want to be paying disability payments to and all the, the Medicare and Medicaid payments to. I hate to say it, but that's who they went after. And that's, that's what they pretty much did. That's what they did in Canada. They went after the first peoples, for example, the first nations. You know, so we as physicians who can speak out, you can't, they can't sit on the sideline anymore. You know, they can't say, I, I get calls all the time now from people that are in the military, physicians in the military, physicians in universities, you know, medical students, residents. They're upset with what's happening, but they feel they can't speak out. And, and I have to tell them at this point, you know, this is a war and they're coming after your children. And if you don't speak out now, I mean, you're, you're, you're part of it. Uh, you know, this is exactly where Germany was in 1942, 1943. I mean, at some point you have to get off this bus before it drives over the cliff. And when you start killing people by not doing the right thing and not speaking out, you're on that bus. You can't, you can't keep doing it. You've mentioned uh, this is a war quite a few times. And I know you've mentioned it. I've watched other interviews with you. Who's waging this war and, and what's the well, goal? That's a really, well, that's a really good question. I mean, you know, the ultimate bad guys is kind of hard. I don't can't put names on them, but there's first of all, we have a lot of military writing exactly about this, about what's happening. OK, and if you take apart the pieces here, you can you can you can demonstrably prove this is a bioweapon. This is was created in a lab. OK. Everything they told us about the way it got out turned out not to be true. You can't trust this idea that it would came. It didn't come from animals. It didn't come from, uh, you know, not to say that it wasn't developed from animal DNA, but it was. It did not come directly from animals. No animal in the meat market tested positive. When you go through this whole thing, there's a guy named Stephen or Stephen Stephen Quay, I think, that does a Bayesian analysis. It's like a 99.8% chance this is not an artificial or this is not a natural occurring event. Um, and there's, uh, there's, and I don't have time in this thing to go through that whole deal, but I, I do have talks about that. There's a lot of evidence that it's not natural. Okay, it, it's a bioweapon. And the other thing is, um, we also have documents written, such as the 1999 book by Colonel Zhao and Wang. It's called Unrestricted Warfare. We've, t- we call it that in our military. Uh, they call it that. We people, military planners have been talking about this for a long time. We, you know, warfare evolves. It's always evolved in humanity. Um, you know, we went from now. This is my own. I came up with this independently even before I read all the military, all the military literature I've been reading since. But, but what I said, I said, well, look at how medicine has, or how warfare has evolved. We started just beating each other over the heads. I call that warfare 1.0. There wasn't much in the way of tactics or strategy. A little bit of snell, stealth sneaking into the native village and then killing people. Okay. And then you had 2.0 was nation states where you had battlefields, set battle pieces. You could see the enemy, you could define the enemy and you knew what, who was fighting whom and where you could see the battlefield. 
But then you went to uh, 3.0 was, was the guerrilla warfare, and that was actually invented probably in Carthage. But I, I think Americans, we kind of take credit for it because we started shooting at the British behind trees, which the British Redcoats were lined up in lines, and we were, we were hunters, and we're behind trees and sniping at them, which was a big advantage, but they thought it was very unsportsmanlike. So that was guerrilla 3.0. Now, in our lifetime, or at least in my lifetime, we've seen Warfare 4.0, which is a totally uh, new concept where now we, we know that we're at war, but we can't quite define the enemy because like the Taliban or the Al-Qaeda or ISIS, by definition, they meet the definition of by the Geneva Convention of a standing army, but they... We, we don't know exactly who's funding them, who's giving them weapons, who's, who's training them. So we don't really know who the ultimate enemy is. We just know the proximate enemy, the, the proximate weaponized arm, but we don't know who the real enemy is. That's 4.0. But what if you could take that a step further? What further? What if you could have warfare, warfare 5.0, and I subsequently found out that's what our military calls fifth generational warfare, where there's no definable battlefield. You can't see an army because, as Zhao and Wang point out, it's unrestricted the battlefield is everywhere. It's in your mind. It's in your baby's crib. Nothing's off the board. You're talking about a potential chemical warfare, biologic warfare, cyber warfare, economic warfare, political warfare, all intermingled. Okay. I mean, what what do we call it, for example, if George Soros tries to take down the economy of Yugoslavia or, 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 or Britain or someplace? Okay. We're in a world where one very rich guy can crash the economy of a, of a nation, potentially. Do we call that, we kind of call that economic terrorism, but what if a nation state uses the same tactics and stealthily gets into Wall Street and intercalates itself and, and does plays to take down an economy? What do we call that? Well, that's economic, we call that economic warfare, but it comes in lots of forms. Now, the issue with biowarfare, biowarfare has been around for a long, long time. I mean, that's nothing new. And what you see happening in the world today is very, it uses all the play cards that we've developed over, over decades back into the early 1900s. And, and you know, um, specifically when you think about uh, World War II, we know, for example, that the, the, the tularemia that broke out on the Eastern Front was actually a Russian bioweapons program that we didn't catch. Uh, we, we're not very good at recognizing biowarfare, but, but in World War II, the Kuomintang, um, couched, and this is goes on to today, the Kuomintang army of the Japanese in Manchuria, northern Manchuria there, they, they, they had a bioweapons program, but they, they couched it, they hid it in a, veteran, a, vet, a veterinarian research arm, okay? And that's gone on, that goes on a lot. There's so much you could, you could make, make arguments of this being a war. I mean, you can look at what, what actually happened here. So, I mean, the worldview is, you ask yourself this, did all the experts get it wrong on accident, get everything wrong? I mean, the CDC, the, all the bright guys in our universities, all the medical authorities, they were wrong about masks. They were wrong about social distancing. I mean, these are demonstrable wrongs. The social distancing, uh, Dr. Lydia Baruba at MIT proved right away that six feet was nonsense. It was not based on any science. So they, they but the whole world bought in the six feet. I mean, all these experts said six feet. Where did that come from? Uh, they, they were wrong about, Risk, risk stratification. They're wrong about, um, uh, you know, the death counts. But here's one that everybody should be able to understand, and that's the PCR testing. So let's just, this helps you figure out what worldview you have, that it's either a war, it's by, it's by design, that there's somebody here to take us down, or it's, it's an accident, and they just all got everything wrong by accident. They really meant well, but just screwed it up. 
PCR testing. Now, I admit that the PCR test is a bad, it's not meant for diagnosis in medicine. Kerry Mullis said that before he unexpectedly died in 2020. So that's, we all know that that part of it is not, wasn't supposed to be, let's say it was used for a reason. It was field expedient. It's all they had. We'll give them that for a minute. Nonetheless, it was used incorrectly and it was used incorrectly universally. Now, I know lab managers. Lab managers are highly trained professionals. They know how to set up a new test. When a new test is given to them, they know how to read the brochure. They need to, they don't have to need, they know how to set it up in the machines. They know how to train their staff. That is their job. That is their profession. They don't allow a lot of false positives or false negative tests. Otherwise, tests become meaningless, right? But we are supposed to believe that in the year 2020, the entire world's major labs, all the major labs and most of the minor labs, failed to do their job. The lab managers didn't set it up right and completely failed to run the test correctly. Even though the test brochure said run it between 20 and 30 or at the most 20 and 35 cycles, every lab was running it at 40 to 45 cycles, which had the which had the, um, uh, the the result of that was that we got you know a huge amount like Kerry uh, or uh, Michael Yeadon, former chief science officer of Pfizer, says over ninety percent false positive rates of these tests. And what the effect was was to terrorize people and to, think, and to be able to say, "Oh, the cases are going up," which now we know is not true. That just wasn't true. Those tests were false. So you have to ask yourself. Either you believe, this is your worldview, that there was a group psychosis that happened in 2020 and all the lab managers not only did it wrong, but did it, but aired in the same way. They all overcycled. None of them undercycled and got false negatives. They all overcycled to the point that 13 labs in, in, at one time in Florida had all false, all, had all positive testing. You got to know that that's somebody. So you either believe that was all by accident, that there's such a thing as group psychosis and all the lab managers did it wrong, or you believe they were told to do it that way. And if they were told to do it that way, which we believe is true, I mean, the CDC apparently told them to do that way and other agencies overseas. So if you, so you either believe they were, they were, they were told to do it that way. And then that they were told or magically undid their psychosis on that magic date of January 21st to suddenly start doing it right. That brought the case numbers down. I mean, that's, you know, again, if you believe that they were told to overcycle, which I don't think anybody in their rational mind would think that everybody in the world just magically got it wrong. If you really look at it, that's the way it's got to be. Then they told them to do it for a purpose. And that purpose was to damage the American people. It has to be. And when you've decided that, then you're at war. You can, it, it can be an, it's an uncharacteristic war. It's a, it's a stealth war by an, you know, uh, by a, a, an amorphous enemy potentially, but it's a, that's what that's what fifth generational warfare is. It's not a battlefield that we can see. It is a battlefield that is happening because we're being attacked in a way that's that has the effect of warfare. We're we're taking down our nation, but we're not doing it with a standing army. You you spent time as a military uh, surgeon in the military, right? And yep. um, ten years. And now, do you have any indication that anyone in the military suspects the same thing? That is there, is there anything that you know that any rumblings of what's going on? What what, what are the conversations like? Well, there are a lot of people outside now that are starting to say this, but the but the uh, even Peter McCullough, who's been very conservative about this all the time, finally said this is this is a war. Um, but but you know, 
the problem in the military appears to be that they, and I did have this conversation with a retired general, and I said, has the entire military general staff been captured? And he said, I think so. Because apparently the entire Army Preventive Medical Corps is all in for the vaccine. Now, let's just back let's just think about that for a second. That I, and I heard, by the way, the Navy is, is vaccinating everybody. Um, at Fort Benning, I think right now they're trying to do Article 15 uh, punishments against guys that won't take the vaccine. But keep in mind, there's actually a carve out in the, um, uh, the Code of Federal Regulations. After the anthrax vaccine debacle, they made a carve out for military that they could not be forced into being experimented upon using with an experimental vaccine. That's in there. So this is illegal what they're doing by mandating it right there. Now, whether they care or not, that's a whole other story. But only 20 people, only 20 active duty members in 2020 died of COVID. That's all services added together. That's from the, the, the epidemiology uh, data bank for the military. So given that risk, there's no risk to being cautious about vaccinating your troops with an experimental agent never been used for, for having a high risk of, pro, or having a high, the highest uh, degree of problems we've ever seen in the vaccine adverse reporting system, uh, a, a, a series of vaccines that were made with companies like Moderna and Pfizer that had 200 embedded Chinese vaccine researchers in their program. If they're not suspicious that this is a bioweapon, then, then they should be fired and court-martialed summarily, but apparently nobody seems to be. And they're not taking their, their they're apparently not taking their briefings from Fort Detrick. They're just doing what the CDC guidelines are. Since when are the CDC guidelines in the line of command of the United States military? They have a totally different mission. A simple example is pilots. Uh, I was married to a Marine pilot for 30 years, Marine Colonel. I mean, it turns out that those are the healthiest people. I mean, they don't, you know, when you're flying single seat combat aircraft, they do not want you to have a stroke up there. You're, you might be carrying nuclear weapons, right? Mm-hmm. So you are screened to the nth degree. Those are not unhealthy people. They're not the people that died of COVID and they're not at high risk. In fact, they, the, their, their biggest fear as a pilot was, was, is having to see their flight surgeon for anything because any little thing can knock them out. So these are healthy people. It used to be, when I was in, in the military, that you couldn't give pilots newly released drugs, you know, just that were just off onto the market. You didn't give pilots newly released drugs because we weren't sure how it was going to act, you know, especially up at altitude and with all the different things they're experiencing, you know. But now we're vaccinating them with, again, an experimental, unproved, untried genetic agent that failed animal studies and that has never been given to long-term humans. You tell me, what do you think that means? If that's not an attack on our on our on our military, I don't know what it is. Because again, you'd have to believe the entire military hierarchy has suddenly become brain dead to do this. I don't think that's what's happening. Something else is causing this. Now, the other thing I've heard um, is, and I think I read this somewhere, that there's a uh, there's a um, I think it was September now, but I thought it was initially July. There's a timeline for the vaccination of the military that they want to have the entire military vaccinated by September or something or other. It's September 1st. We ran an article, I think, just this morning. Oh, maybe I saw it in the New American then. Okay, September 1st. Now you have to ask yourself, why do you have a deadline like that? Now, here's where I have some experience, okay? So when I was in the Navy and was taking care of Marines at at air bases, actually, and, and when I was in training, 
sometimes the word would come around, we have to have some medical clearances or we have to have some medical thing or some vaccination done by a certain date, okay? Now, they couldn't tell you for security reasons, they didn't come and say, hey, these squadrons are gonna deploy in three weeks, so that's why we have to have you get all this stuff for them. They would just say, hey, we have a deadline, we need you to do this. It's because there's a logistical timeline. So, you know, the logistics of running a, a, an operation, whether it's a training operation or a war, you have to have certain things in place by a certain timeline, right? So you get these things done so you can move to the next thing and then, and then you're ready to deploy. Well, I, I saw somebody asked me, well, why would there be a timeline for the military to get a vaccine? Are they going somewhere? And I said, well, not that I know of. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up the other night and I said, oh my, this is not good. It sounds like this is a logistical, this is a logistical timeline point. It's maybe somebody scheduled our invasion and it has to be done because they want these people sick and debilitated by the time they come over here. Now, unfortunately, that's not a completely preposterous notion. And I also, again, this is, this is because of national security issues, this, some of this stuff, this is hard to get a hold of. But when they first started vaccinating, and I understand they vaccinated the entire Navy of Australia. Now, they're an island nation. They depend on their Navy. Or their, their Navy is pretty important to them. Um, again, why would they vaccinate everybody? These are young, healthy guys, not at risk of dying of COVID. So, and I said this very, at the very front, I said, I hope they don't vaccinate our military because if they don't vaccinate the military, and I said this last October, I can tell you in three months, you'll have a standing military. But if you vaccinate them, you can't guarantee that. Err on the side of caution. That was my big point. And now we have thrown caution to the wind. And my understanding, there were people, some of the sailors on these ships were squeaking and it got to their relatives, got to Facebook and kind of squeaked out. And at first they said that 25% of the Navy of Australia is non-deployable right now. Either they're dead or sick in some way they can't deploy after the vaccine. So I don't know if that's true. And now I've heard 50%. I don't know if that's true. That's something that needs to be looked into. And I, I don't have the ability to, you know, unless somebody's going to, maybe somebody would be so kind to send me some information if they had some inside track. But, uh, you know, that's 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 the issue here. There is no reason to do it. Why are we doing it? And and I will tell you, I was hoping that they were vaccinating the military with something that was not the real not the real vaccine. Because here's the thing to point out: the Chinese and the Russian armies are not getting these RNA and DNA technology vaccines. How do we know they, that? That's a, that's a little scary point. They're getting traditional vaccines. They're getting a vaccine, but they're using a dead piece of the spike protein, mm -hmm. and they're using it like we would have done with how we vaccinated when I was in the military, you got your typhoid shot, you got your you know, other shots for deployment. That's what they're doing. That never killed our whole military. I just got a big swollen arm. I'm not saying it was fun, but this has a different potential. And I will tell you that young, healthy people now are cropping up in the military with myocarditis. More have cropped up with that, which has a 66% fatality uh, ratio or, or, or risk in five years. There are over 80 of those cases. And keep in mind, we only had 20 deaths last year. And, and you, do, you do touch on the mRNA uh, aspect of the vaccine. And I think most people are probably like me. We don't know exactly the difference. As far as what I know is this, is it's, it's new. It's a, it's a new technology. Uh, and you kind of touched on what makes it it's unknown and what makes it dangerous. Can you go into that a little bit? Why is, why is this one particular dangerous or? Well, what if I said to you, I'm going to give you a drug that we don't know much about, and it has the potential to change your genetic material in your body that will, you will pass down to your children. 
Would you think that's dangerous? Yes. Because that's essentially what we're doing here. There's no question about that. We're giving people DNA. And this is, again, people that think it's all just BS, they have to they have to do their due diligence. You know, I'm surprised that people, the biggest shocker to me is that people who wouldn't buy the first edition of a new car line because they're worried the bugs haven't been worked out are running out to get a vaccine that neither they nor their doctors know anything about. Their doctors are, this is, kills me. Doctors are not doing their due diligence. Go out and read the science. It's not, it's not hidden, okay? They've been doing these vaccines for a long time in animals and other things, and they know how this works. We know, for example, here's why, here's why you should worry. First of all, you're being injected with synthetic genetic material. Now, DNA, when it's from, when it's made, when it's, when it's like in the old days, we had chicken eggs that we made the flu vaccine or whatever in. You're not a chicken. So if a little bit of genetic material left over from that egg with DNA or RNA in it, it's not going to get into you because it's a chicken, right? But we're giving you human DNA and synthetic or synthetic human DNA. It does not have the, the, the uh, stuff on it for your body to recognize it as non-self and get, getting rid of it. So it can potentially, in DNA, like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, could actually intercalate, meaning it could get into your DNA, just like retroviruses do. And once a retrovirus gets into your DNA, it gets passed down to next generations. It stays with you forever. We all have, we are all carrying viral DNA in our, gene, our human genome. So playing around with putting human DNA into you is a dangerous, just on the face of it, okay? It's never been done before. That on its, on its face should be concerning. Second of all, uh, RNA, even though it may not get into your genome in the way that people think that they're gonna become a GMO potato because that's actually gene spliced, right? What can happen is that the RNA is a potent epigenetic controller of DNA. In other words, we're giving you a snippet of RNA and neither your doctor nor anybody outside of the research uh, arm can verify what that DNA is or that RNA. They claim it's been reverse engineered to produce the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, blah, 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 blah. But we can't prove it because there's been no independent research on that. Even if it, that's true, um, that, well, let's say it's not true. And let, we know that they also are giving you more than that because they said, if we just give you that RNA in a little lipoprotein coat that will make the spike protein, your body's own immune system will chew it up too soon. And that's dangerous. It's, it's, we don't want to have, you don't want to have, if you're going to do this technology, they found out if you give too, if it lasts too long, you get autoimmune disease. If it doesn't last long enough, you give people what's called immune enhancement, which is what killed the animals in the animal trials. So they've tried to make this stuff last exactly the right period of time. And what they've had to do to do that is they've had to dampen down your innate uh, antibody system, your innate immune system. They had to put in, they put a code in here, some part of this genetic code that they're giving to people, dampens down, puts a break on their own immune system. How wonderful is that? Now, we know that's true because guess what? You've probably heard this in the news recently. They said they had to do it and they didn't tell us the details of how they did it. But, but if you've had COVID and you have antibodies to COVID, and you haven't taken the vaccine, you can donate your, con it's called convalescent plasma through the Red Cross. You could do donate your convalescent plasma that has antibodies to the spike protein. That can be used to save other people's lives. But if you take the vaccine, those antibodies go away. So let me get this right. 
we want to protect you from having COVID, but you already have immunity from COVID because you have antibodies. But now I'm going to give you this vaccine and now you don't have antibodies. I've just ruined your antibody. Your, I've just ruined your own innate immunity to the COVID, which is probably lifelong or at least decades. And now I'm going to give you an artificial partial immunity, which doesn't even stop transmission. That That's one aspect I have found weird is I have had COVID and so was everyone in our office. We, we had it naturally whatnot. But you look at the media, you watch and you listen to the interviews and nobody talks about, well, what about those of us who have had it? Uh, right. They keep pushing this vaccine and whatnot. You see the signs. Uh, you could come in if you've been vaccinated. Why is there such little emphasis of any at all? On those of us who have had it, it was reported that uh, there was up to anywhere up to a, a lifetime. Uh, some of the ideas is that you may have lifetime immunity. And that that that, that we there's reason to suspect that more truth is coming out of Russia and the Karolinska Institute. And they said that right away. They said by May of 2020, 30 percent of their population, when they did sophisticated immune studies, were immune to, to the to this pathogen. Again, if we just let nature take its course, we would have had immunity. It would have been gone. OK. So, you, so I'm not sure I can answer that, but my, I believe it's because they don't really care about you becoming safer or more healthy or protecting yourself from a virus. They want you to get this vaccine. Everything that's happened here in this whole time period has been driving a psychological operation to get people to run out and get this vaccine. I mean, let's just look at that. That's and that's that's why they don't care if you've had it. And you know that 37-year-old orthopedic surgeon in, in Memphis, Tennessee, that died after the vaccine. He had had COVID and didn't know it. He had antibodies and he died of the same kind of thing that killed the animals in the animal studies, which is immune enhancement. He had antibody dependent enhancement where he got now the vaccine. He did it in reverse order, but he got the vaccine and he just got this multiple system inflammation that killed him. Okay. So you're probably at more risk, we think, if you've had the disease and then you get the vaccine. So, and we've, you know, this is not just in this particular situation. We've known this in Zika virus and attempts to make vaccines to RSV and other types of viruses. There's certain viruses that there's a thing that takes you out that's called antibody dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming. And this is one of those categories of viruses where it happens in coronavirus, if that's really the issue. So, but why would they do this? You, you have to ask yourself, why would they not tell us about vitamin D, which is so critical to protecting you and improving your immune system? You know, when this whole thing came out, I was watching this thing on the on the Internet, I, you know, coming across Wuhan and all this stuff. And then when it hit Lombardy and it started coming, and I kept saying, CDC, what are you doing? Why aren't you looking at this? Because there's two big groups. I mean, two groups. There's a huge group of people that if they get sick at all, they recover and they walk away. Many of them are not even getting sick, but there's a huge group that they get a little bit sick or maybe even more sick, but they walk away from this versus this very small, much smaller group that goes down hard, goes to the ICU and dies. Who are they? What's different about them? Well, the CDC never told us, even though we've known this for decades, the Indonesians look at 800 people in their hospital and they looked at people who, um, had, had, had ended up in the ICU or dead versus the vast majority of hospitalized people diagnosed with COVID that walked away. And the difference was your vitamin D level. If your vitamin D level was over 30, I think it's nanograms per milliliter is the, is the unit uh, standard, whatever the standard measurement is uh, of vitamin D level. If it's over 30, you had a 96% chance of walking away from this out of the hospital. Now that's pretty good odds. Don't you think that our CDC, if they gave a care about us would have told us that they knew it but you see for decades now they've tried to underplay they've told us 
oh, the Institute of Medicine, oh, you don't need more than 400, 400 international units of vitamin D a day. Now, as an orthopedic spine surgeon, I can tell you that's absolutely false. We've known it's false for years. You can't bump your D levels up enough under 5,000 units a day if you're an older person. And I saw adult rickets, which is low, you know, which is where your bones bow in. But in adults, it looks different. But I see adult rickets all the time as a spine surgeon. And I knew that was wrong, but they kept saying it. Why? Why were they doing that? Why, why did they tell us about um, that you should, you should wear masks when now we're finding out that, that masks do horrible things to you on these long-term basis from, from the CO2 retention that can stimulate your microglia in the brain and lead to dementia to all the bacteria that you're trapping that can go in the lung. And now they've shown that can increase your risk of lung cancer. I mean, and the fact that it never worked it had never been shown to work. Why did they lie about that? So, so again, giving vaccines, this is all, and I tell people this, this is an important part of the war is the psychological operation. Albert Biederman, after, after the Korean war, and I may have mentioned it in the article, I can't remember, but Albert Biederman was asked to look at our Korean war veterans as they came back from overseas and why they turned against America. Some of them had been turned against the United States. Well, he looked at them and he said, it was just simple psychological manipulation that we know about. He said, the first thing you do, if you want to control prisoners, if you want to bend somebody to your will, here's the stages. Number one, you isolate them. Well, we have the lockdowns, right? So you, when you isolate people, first of all, they get afraid and they're, they're worried and they have no support structure for emotionally, but they also have no other source of truth coming in. People talk in their ear saying, oh, that's just nonsense. Don't believe that. Look out the window and look at the truth, okay? So they're, they're, they're isolated. Next thing you do is you monopolize their perception. So you constantly had CNN and ABC and all the mainstream media beating up you about, oh, look at all these people dying and look at the case numbers are going up. When they quit dying, then they had to say, oh, the case numbers are going up because of the false PCR test that they set up to do that. So now they've convinced you that everybody that's got the flu now is COVID because of these false PCR tests. So they pushed and pushed and pushed. And the third, the third strategy, which is very key, and he has actually nine, nine things. But you can summarize part of it is confusion that they now they they keep changing things on you. It's called the Alice in Wonderland technique when you're dealing with prisoners. That's one of the terms. It, it basically, Dr. Fauci, this was part of his role as the doctor of confusion. Oh, you don't need a mask. It's only for medical personnel. Oh, no, no. You need to wear a mask all the time. Oh, no, wait. No, it's only to keep your hands off your face. Oh, wait a minute. No, I think you need more than one mask. And then, oh, by the way, in all this, the New England Journal of Medicine actually published an article. Was it the New England Journal or JAMA? It was one of, I think maybe it was JAMA, but no, I think it was the New England Journal that right in there says masks really don't work to prevent the transmission of these small particle viruses, but they act as a talisman. They might not save our medical people from getting sick, but they act as a talisman, meaning they make them feel safer. So literally we were mandating, when they knew that masks didn't work, they were mandating masks for you as a talisman, as a rabbit's foot. Are you kidding me? But this is the kind of thing. So they did all this and they got people afraid and then they got them confused. And when you add confusion to fear, you get anxiety. This is, how, this is what we call now Stockholm syndrome. This is what the, the new term used to be brainwashing, but now we call it Stockholm syndrome after that, those bank robbery uh, suspects in, uh, or, or victims down in Sweden. So you do all that and you get them so anxious, they will do anything to get out of that anxiety zone. You know, I have a friend who's a, who's a pediatric psychiatrist in LA, and I asked him, please tell me, for the love of God, who are these people driving around by themselves in a mask? Because even in, in no scientific world does that make sense. Who are those people? And he said to me, they're Stockholm Syndrome people. So what we have done, 
to get people to take this vaccine or the ones is, outside we've yeah we've produced yeah, or outside or in a shower somewhere uh they're they produce stockholm syndrome in a whole world of stockholm syndrome people as he says by the way he's a very funny guy and he says you know i i used to expect to see crazy people when i went to the locked psychiatric ward but now i'm expecting to see crazy people when i walk outside my my office in la and just see all the nonsense that's going on but so they do this and they get everybody afraid and they they coerce them and they terrorize them and then they make them anxious and then they say don't worry we'll get the world back to normal if you'll just take this vaccine so they've pushed people that would not normally be that people that would be normally more risk averse have been pushed and coerced into this vaccine program and you have to say why and then they said oh and we want to push to get everybody vaccinated in three months like it's a big emergency people were not dying at a very high rate when this whole thing started we were basically into the summer lull that we go through every year if you really look at the numbers here we had like a bad flu season last year it wasn't exactly the flu the way people were going down i'm not saying that and i'm not saying it was just the flu but for the most part if we hadn't if we had not relabeled the flu and all the other viruses that hit us last year as covid the numbers would have been much much lower and would and even so we have an among like i say under people age 40 and below 99.997 percent survival why are we vaccinating them so everything has been forced to make people terrorized to take this vaccine and you just have to ask yourself why and why they've done it without the adequate safeguards they ever did before which were not always perfect but they were a lot better than this it took them years to get vaccines through through the rites of passage to make sure that they were safe and, and, and somewhat effective they've lied about the effectiveness you know peter doshi's not a, not a dumb guy he's one of the editors of the of the um, british medical journal and when he looked at it, and this is what I've had other, um, one of the guys at the AFLDS looked at it too. People come up with this, this, and the and the and the vaccine guys, the vaccine research companies have actually admitted this. It doesn't prevent transmission. Their study was set up. Ultimately, it only showed one thing, and that is that if you got the vaccine, your symptoms went down a little bit in 30% of people. Really, we are vaccinating the whole world with an experimental, untried new technology that's never been used before on humans that gives you synthetic nuclear DNA stuff and failed in the animal studies. And you're wondering why we should be concerned about this. And you only did it with studies that showed it didn't stop transmission. You still get the COVID. Oh, but by the way, it might decrease your symptoms. 30% of you might get some benefit in decreased symptoms. That's incredible. And then, and then Pfizer, did a study basically this was a this was our nation study was israel when they went over to israel they pushed it on all the israelis and what immediately started happening is the elderly started dying now i will tell you this isn't the first time we've seen this we never looked at the death by day in nursing homes after the flu vaccine i think if we had done that we would have seen a similar thing we know i mean the people that work in nursing homes i've heard this from multiple people that and I, and you hear it when patients tell you you know, their uncle got a flu vaccine and then died, you know, a week later. That's what we're seeing with this. Elderly people are doing fine. Their dementia's controlled. They're a little demented, but they've been that way for years. They're doing okay. And then they take the vaccine and either their dementia suddenly gets worse or they suddenly die, you know, or they have a sudden brain bleed. And the problem is a lot of those are not being registered as a COVID death because, or as a vaccine death, because 85 year old people die of brain bleeds, but it's just so coincident that it happens within four days of the vaccine. You know, you you read the various studies and it's it's within days these bad things happen. You always, you know, within two weeks, there's a big 
death bump. And somebody's got to look at that. You mentioned some of those incidents and uh, really startling, but two specifically, uh, you mentioned one uh, with a 65 year old female. She was a, uh, she was vaccined on February 2nd by February 11th. She was almost nonverbal by February 15th. She went to the hospital, bruising sores on her stomach and clots. And then she was dead February 15th. Another one you mentioned is 65 year old female uh, within 15 minutes of the injection. That sounds abnormal, even for that. She became as aphasic. What, how do you say that? Aphasic. Couldn't speak. Uh, and then uh, she had stroke symptoms. She was taken to the ER, uh, diagnosed with a cerebral hemorrhage, and passed away. So she died. Right. So, and I suspect that I, the more. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to touch on you. You had talked about these, the, the fear, the anxiety. And I, like I said, we had COVID. And so I found myself probably on the second or third day, we could tell it was COVID because it was strange. I don't know if you've had it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it seems like the strangest uh, conglomerate of of symptoms. You know, we had this foggy brain thing. We had some sort of nausea, of course, walking up in the stair, down the stairs, whatnot. And at some point we did develop shortness of breath, but I remember, I remember specifically thinking about like death. Yeah, I remember thinking about that. And, and then I had to remind myself and, and you know, my wife was chiller than me and whatnot. But uh, I, I worked for a new site. I, I owned a new site. So I was constantly in this stuff, reading up on it. And we were doing news reports on it and whatnot. But I remember having to remind myself of the statistics that are, we all knew that that basically anyone my age and I was pretty healthy. I ran and whatnot. It's like I, I was uh, 39, I believe at the time or 40. I don't remember. I'm 40 now. But uh, I just remember having to check myself. I remember having to check myself because I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This has almost no chance of ending my life. And and I think it's a testament. I can't imagine, uh, you know, we see a lot of fear because I think, like you said, it's like we've been bombarded constantly, constantly. The death ticker. You mentioned the death ticker. I don't know in, in my life if we've ever kept up with with, with it like that. But I right. think what one question that... Um, or, or one aspect of this that I think uh, is the hardest to convince people of, and I want to touch on that, is this, this collaboration that you're in a way we're implying, you're implying, and you know, right. we at the John Birch Society have, have been talking about conspiracy for a long, long time. Now, what you're implying is, is a high, high degree of collaboration. What do you say to people who are listening or, or, even, or even critics who are like, look, there are so many factors, so many gears and levers uh, to keep saying they, to keep making this happen. Right. It's, it's really hard to believe. What would you say to that? You know, the pro- there are people that see the world as all individual unrelated events. So, for example, the unrelated event is in 2015, they did a study on mice to diminish the m- mice population. And they happened to use technology identical to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And... The mice, it was, self, it was called self-disseminating immunocontraceptives. In other words, they gave the vaccine to the mice. The vaccine went into their ovaries. It killed their, it damaged their ovaries. It was targeting the ovaries. And then it shed on other mice. And the other mice got it, became sterile, shed on yet another generation of mice, and it went away. That's a fact point. Okay, so there's a data point. Another data point. Since the time of the Kuomintang, there's been veterinary medicine has been a a cover for bioweapons research. That's another point. Third point, there was a Pfizer study that was done uh, just recently before the Japanese would take the Pfizer vaccine that showed that that the vaccine 
uh, accumulated in the, in the ovaries 65 times more than the skeletal muscle. That's another data point. Here's another data point that we have all these billionaires constantly talking about the need to decrease population. I mean, you can go on and on and on. And all I'm saying is, is that there are too many data points to be coincidental. And on random chance alone, if they had really cared about us, the, the medical authorities at the CDC, at the EMA, at all the different world organizations would have done something to help us survive this, but they didn't. The people that had some help were the people listening to the independent media, like you, like me, hopefully now, and, and the people that are putting out, not that I'm a media person, but I, you know, by going on podcasts, I guess, putting out, trying to figure out how to save people's lives. It was not organized medicine. Organized medicine did nothing to save your life. Look, how many people were afraid to go to the hospital because they knew what would happen. They would go to the hospital, they'd be turned away. Here's a real story, and this is a classic story, and it happens all the time. I've taken care of these people. You know, we're treating physicians that are speaking out. We're not sitting in a closet somewhere. And it cannot be by accident that this is happening. So you go to the hospital and your PO2, your, your partial pressure of oxygen is like 92, which isn't normal. But they turn you away and say, you have to be sicker before we take you in. They don't treat you in spite of the vast amount of literature out there now showing that hydroxychloroquine given early can turn that around. Okay. They don't even give you breathing treatments because they claim that they're afraid of spreading COVID. They're not practicing medicine like we've ever practiced medicine before. Why? Why are all the hospitals suddenly unified in their non-treatment of people? Why did they all start uh, doing things that made it worse, you know, like using respirators? What's a conspiracy? I mean, why, well, let me ask you this. Why is it that in, in all the, it turns out that when you go back, this is an article I published um, a while ago called, uh, I can never remember the name. I wanted to say it was the biggest lie of COVID, but it's about hydroxychloroquine. The fact that that drug is the, is the follow-on to chloroquine, but these are called lysosomotropic agents, or they, there's a family of these agents. And now there's a lot more that we know. It's, it's not just those agents, but that family they knew about in the 1970s could treat viruses. Okay. Now, if you or I, you know, we always thought that if somebody came up with a cure for cancer, it'd be just blasted all over the news everywhere, right? Especially for a cheap, easy cure. That apparently is not what happens. And that's the thing here. Here we had a drug hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine back in the 70s. And they said, they showed how it, 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 it stopped viruses from replicating in the Petri dish, okay? And then by 2004, there was a little article that peeped out with a, it was actually a Chinese name author saying, influenza A uh, potently inhibited in, in, in Petri dish by, in vitro in Petri dish by, by chloroquine, which means all the years they told you take your flu shot because 60,000 people died last year of the flu. They had a potential treatment. They knew about it and they covered it up. Now that you, you know, you'd see these little squeaking articles come out, some in the basic science before it got shut down and then nothing. So what does it take to do that? This is my point to people. Do you think that all researchers looking at this just decided not to do research on this? Do you think they decided not to publish on this? I can tell you the peer-reviewed journals are set up to push pharmaceuticals. They are not set up to publish articles by actual researchers out in the wild, away from the universities that don't push a product. It comes sometimes happens, but not very often. And these are, there was an article in the Lancet, for example, in I think 2000, I don't know, 11, it was a while ago. 
or 2004, maybe it's after SARS, looking at these repurposing, it was called talked about repurposing these old drugs to for treating SARS and these other uh, viral illnesses. That guy you never heard from again. It, it appears that it was, it was the, the, the research was not pursued. At the minimum, they didn't pursue research that clearly showed we could have treated viruses and we didn't do it. And the second thing they did is you didn't see the, you didn't see repeat people on the, on the uh, research arm. Where was it in the medical research? To do that, you had to stifle the publication in scientific journals and in all the medical journals, just like they did with Surgisphere, okay? When this all broke out, hydroxychloroquine was shown early on by people that had read this old stuff that had squeaked out. They'd looked at what the Chinese said. Chinese early on knew about hydroxychloroquine, started using it. Indians started using it. The Taiwanese started using it, but we were told, no, it doesn't work. Now, how did that happen? Well, a big study came out. There were published, people were starting to come out with data. You know, they couldn't get it in the publications, but the online, they were telling you, treated 2000 people, none of them died of COVID. This is what we did, blah, 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 blah. So this was starting to come out. So a group of doctors put together, I think it was called uh, C19 or hqtrials.com. I think that's what it was called. It was an online uh, real time, it's still up, you can find, on time where they looked at, people could submit their articles, they could submit their series, and these guys would tell you whether they accepted them or not, why it was open architecture science. They put the data up and they showed you that the countries that used hydroxychloroquine early and often had initially an 80%, now it's down to about a 70%, less death rate than the countries that never used that, that were not so that were slow to use or didn't generally use it which is why new york has the worst death rate for covid and uganda has the best okay because uganda is free enough people can walk down the street and buy hydroxychloroquine over the counter that's the story here well what happened again if you don't believe in conspiracies how do you explain this in may of last year two hydroxy precursor plants burned down a third one burned down in Taiwan this year that was the number two producer. They terrorized this Canadian couple up in Canada that used to distribute and produce it, and that got shut down. So, so that happened. And then after this big article came out reporting on the Seek 19 trial, this international trial, well, the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine published these reviews that they claimed had the world data on hydroxychloroquine use, and it doesn't work. They showed, we got the data, it doesn't work. So somebody called them on the data. Not only did they, you know, you've seen papers where people, I, I mean, I've seen papers. I, I look at research papers all the time. And when, you know, if you've ever been in research, you know, people that are, they're massaging the data. You know that if they're looking at it through rosy colored glasses, kind of picking and choosing a little bit. So they get the outcomes they want. That happens. But this is a whole new level of fraud. So both the Lancet and the New England Journal articles had to be withdrawn because not only did they, it wasn't they massaged the data, they had no data. The data was supposed to have come from this company called Surgisphere that was a fly-by-night storefront fraud. It was just a fraud. And it was run, they said it was, they said it had a science writer, that that was a science fiction writer, and the and the data collection person turned out to be a porn star, which they called a an adult content model. You can't make this up. So if you don't think, but but see, they'd already done this, they don't it didn't matter that it was a fraud. It doesn't all these facts don't matter to people. Yeah. All they remember is that there were all the doctors remember there were two articles from the all the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet. That's all I listened to. And they said it doesn't work. And we stand by that. We just go with what they say. 
Well, I was I was fortunate enough to have a doctor and he was doling that stuff out. But he was essentially writing scripts. So before he was saying, look, this stuff's going around. Uh, there's a company in that state that was making it and they were just passing that stuff out. So when we had it, uh, we were ready. We had it on hand. Several people here at the hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine and, uh, and Z-Packs. Right, right. And, That's, and That's why you got over so quickly. Yeah, in Z pack, it was all in oh. one little uh, zinc. Yeah. I mean, all in one little yeah. pill. So I guess because I know we got to wind down. And that's in India. They're doing that. They give out COVID kits. That's exactly yeah. what they do. And it could be over the counter worldwide, but we've shut it down. Why we, don't we do that here? Well, exactly. Not only that. Listen to this. Now we know that the N-acetylcysteine, which has been over the counter for decades, it's a good for what ails you kind of thing. It increases glutathione in the cells, which is what why this works. Okay. But it, it, it somehow it protects you against the damage of the spike protein. So one of the things everybody should take, and I tell people to take, is N-acetylcysteine, roughly 1,000 milligrams a day. This is pretty well worked out. So what's happening? Now the FDA wants to put that behind a paywall by making it by prescription only. Again, nothing they're doing is making this better. They're, they're making it harder for Americans to survive this, this outbreak. So what can and you, why do you think it is? I mean, if you want to say who's they, I can tell you it's the FDA and the CDC for sure. And their minions and their whoever's paying them and the gr- drug companies, none of them have done one thing to make it better for you. If you don't think that's a conspiracy, I don't know what one is. So what can Americans do? What can, what can people who are listening do? I mean, obviously it's there, there's something, there's a force against us. What, what do we do? What, what does a normal person do? Uh, well, there's a lot we can do. I think the first thing we have to recognize, like I say, you have to recognize this really is a, a war against us as humanity. You know, we have to take back our freedom. They're not going to give it to us. Nobody ever gives you freedom. You always have to take it. And the first thing is, it's also a spiritual war. We're not fighting just flesh and blood. I, I mean, it, it ultimately, it doesn't make sense. I've really gotten reacquainted with my, you know, with, with spirituality for this whole thing, because there's more to it than just what we can see and touch and feel. And then on a concrete note, again, take off your masks. Don't wear them. If, you know, people that say, and maybe I've already said this, I don't want to repeat myself, but, but I, I, people that say, oh, I only wear the mask. I don't really believe in it, but I make people feel good. You know, I don't want to have them feel threatened or uncomfortable around me. Well, I tell people like that now, now we're far into this game. Okay. We cannot go down again because we're going to starve people. We're going to, people's businesses are going to be down. We can't, we can't do this again. There was no reason to do it once. Do not let them do it again. So what you have to do is you have to realize that mask is an act of war against you and your children. They're coming after your children. If I, if I were sterilized, I guess it wouldn't be a big deal. I'm 69 years old almost, but the, but the, but my children, I don't want sterilized. So this is not just a war for us. This is about our children. And so don't, don't put on, what they don't do, what they want you to do. Don't go into lockdown. Don't keep six feet away from everybody. That's an anti-human measure. Don't wear a mask. It separates you from the, your humanity and it's, and it's damaging to children. We have to stand up for our children. And then the other thing is, you know, even if you're, con- even if you're convinced somehow that you want to get this vaccine, just wait a little bit, because quite frankly, this is so, this, what's happening is an avalanche of, of crisis of death and destruction. It's going to be so obvious in three months, they can't hide it. You know, as Boris Yeltsin once said, you can sit on a throne of bayonets, but you can't sit on it for long. This is going to fall apart of its own evil. It just can't keep going. 
And I think it's important to also throw in in there that you're not necessarily anti-vaccine. I've seen your past interviews and you're- I didn't start out. I would have taken a smallpox vaccine tomorrow, you know? But the problem is now I'm afraid to take anything from these guys because I don't believe they're acting in our best self-interest. But there's, the other thing is, yeah, you're right. I'm not. And I, and I, I only came to some, even, you know, suspicion that the, we weren't being told the truth when nurses were mandated to get the flu vaccine. And I looked at the data on the behest of some nurses and I realized that the whole thing was a scam. Okay. That there wasn't that I looked at the, uh, because if you read their official propaganda, it says one thing, if you go back and read the FDA studies, which is what we've done on this. And you look at the actual numbers on any year, the, uh, the, the vaccine only benefits 10% of the people take it. So even potentially to take it. So that's what woke me up a little bit, but you're right. I didn't start. I took all the vaccines when I was in the military. I mean, this is something very different. And and one of the things you can do too is be so healthy that you can survive this. You know, youth gets you a ways, okay? But it doesn't make up for lack of vitamin D and a, a terrible diet and no exercise and lack of fresh air. We know some things to do. I've got my re- website is themedicalrebel.com. It's three words, the medical rebel. But I have on there, the, I, I used to, in my office before COVID, I used to say, these are the seven supplements everybody should take to be healthy. Now I've got them up to nine because I added the NAC and I added lysine. Lysine is also a really good one. Now I might even add a 10th one, which is now we know something about to maybe re- reverse some of the damage of the vaccine if you took it. So I've also got stuff about vaccine remorse. Um, I think it's important to deal with the shedding issue. I think we need to protect our young people. Shedding, uh, S-H-E-D, if I'm not saying that clearly, shedding. Um, actually happens. We know about it. We know they've, they've, they've used this in animal studies. We know that it happens. And we know that they've, they knew about it. And they, they told their, here's another point. Again, back to the, proving that this is a planned thing. When we started talking about shedding, meaning people on their unvaccinated getting sick from the vaccinated, we were told we were crazy anti-vaccine kooks, right? But the uh, FDA themselves had a circular that went out to researchers in 2015 telling them how to handle shedding. And it told them whom to protect, like the pregnant women, the the neonates, the elderly and immune compromised people from people that have been recently in vaccine trials or one of these trials of these genetic agents. I have it on on my uh, website, I think. So, but they they actually show that. Um, There was a big EMA conference in 2007 on shedding of genetic agents onto the unvaccinated, essentially. You know, how are we gonna deal with this? They knew about it. And when we asked, when we talked about it, they first told us when we were crazy, when we said people are getting damaged, they didn't offer their help. They didn't offer to help, help us understand this so we could start taking care of people and protecting people from being accidentally sterilized by this, by this shedding. They didn't come forward. Now you got to ask yourself, what's, why? You know, give, give me a motive that I can understand that's not psychopathology for that one. You had a pretty astounding quote from Michael Yeadon. Is that how you say he was a former science officer at Pfizer? Uh, He says, I'm here to tell you that there's something very, very bad happening. If you don't pay attention, you will soon lose any chance to do anything about it. He says, look out the window. And I think, why is my government lying to me about something so fundamental? Because I think the answer is they are going to kill you using this method. They are going to kill you and your family. Yeah. He said this has them. He said, I heard him say this method has the potential to kill billions of people. Now he didn't actually, he was retired when this whole thing broke out. So they didn't fire him, but yeah. he, he was, he's in, and I think he's going to come over and work with AFLDS. I hope um, he's a, he's a great guy, but when he, he didn't start out like, like me, he didn't start out this way. 
he's my my I started out just wanting to protect our hospital staff and wanting to protect people and to figure out what this was. That's why I got glued to the computer when this all started out. I had a friend that used to work at USAMR at the Navy at the Army Bioweapons Lab. And um, I would always ask him, hey, should I pay attention to this one when something broke out around the world? And this is the first time he said, pay attention to this one. You know, we just started out doing our scientific background jobs, you know, being a doctor, him being a scientist, you know. But then it morphed into something else when you saw that they were lying to us, not just once or twice, but at every turn. And that's what I, and I give, so Michael Yaden first started out saying, hey, wait a minute, guys, you're overcycling the PCR test, which you're giving at 90% false positives by now. You can't do that. Why are you doing that? But he didn't really put it together. And I, by then I had put it together and I said, because they want to kill us. Come on, Dr. Yaden, wake up here. And now he's awakened. So good for him. Where can people go for, for more information besides the New American, of course? But where well, uh, New American is always good, and you've got some great articles in that whole journal, that whole one that I, my article is in. The medical rebel.com, that's yours, that's correct? Another one, and okay. and um, so I do talk a little bit about if they try to mandate you at work to take the vaccine, what to do, and I talk about I talk about the medical stuff, but you can go if, if you're in a mandate situation where you really are getting pressured, and that what I tell you is not enough, and the form I gave you is not enough. Go to AFLDS.org. That's the American Frontline Doctors website, AFLDS.org. And they also have, they have legal staff, okay? Dr. Gold is a lawyer and they're they're uh, doing things to help people and they're willing to take on, I mean, you have to pay a lawyer, obviously this isn't for free, but they also are taking on some clients that they're going to use to push the vaccine mandates back. So if you've been, you know, if you might be a, they have a form you can fill out to see if you're a candidate to be one of the people they can use in their lawsuits. Well, they also have treatment and, and there's Dr. Stella MD has treatment. There's a bunch of places you can go to get treatment. You can, uh, I have on my website where to go overseas to get online to uh, buy ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and the protocols, you can get those and, pub, and print them out in case you don't, you don't have electricity when you need them. And, and uh, I guess I would say that the American, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, has been fighting. One of the reasons that I kind of was skeptical, too, is that I've watched the usurpation of government health care that makes this possible by hurting all the doctors into a pen. I've been watching that happen now for my 40-year career in medicine. And, uh, you know, they've been shouting, these guys have been right all along. They separated from the AMA in 1943. Their motto is all for the patient. They also have protocols and information on there and a lot of good knowledge. So those are where I would go. That's aapsonline.org. Those are great resources. We'll put them down in the podcast. And, and I guess I want to leave off with this question. Is there, this is pretty, I'd say dark stuff, you know, it's, yeah. it's what can we hope for? Well, humanity has been around for a long time. So I think there's a lot of hope. That doesn't mean that we're not just like in World War II, we lost a lot of people. You know, you're not going to get out of a war without losing people. It's just that simple. But um, I think we all have to be positive here because one of the things that has gotten us here is they feed on our negativity and they feed on us getting at each other's throats. They want to divide and conquer us. And I think that it's that is one of the pro, one of the things that I think maybe the deep state or whoever this is, the cabal, you can call them what they will. This group of people that may be less than 150 people in the world that are that are that are arranging these things. We don't know, but it's a top down pyramid. But those of us on the bottom, we've been pawns for a long time, but I think we're waking up. People are realizing that this black white is artificial, that the, you know, 
even the parties are artificial. Now we could say that some parties are better at dealing with these things than others, but really it's not about what, what you put after your name. It's not whether you're a doctor or a lawyer, it's, it's, or you know, whether country you're from, we are all human beings and we need to stand together and save ourselves as a global human race. Because this is, when, it, when you're talking about somebody attacking your DNA, they're coming after the human race. So forget all these artificial things. It's not about religion. This is about us saving ourselves. And I think we're going to do it. You know, God wins. We don't, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to ultimately lose, but it can get, it can get ugly, but it's time. I think people are realizing too, they have to stand up for their children. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down at all. I think we're actually, the more we learn, the more I think now we're going to beat these bastards. That's a good word to, to, to leave on. Dr. Merritt, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and good luck to you. And uh, the- thank you. Well, another episode of Freedom is the Cure is almost in the books. But before we go, let's go to Peter Rakowski, the JBS Research Associate, with the latest legislative alerts. Yeah, there are several things that we're watching in Congress that are very important. One of those is the infrastructure bill. Uh, The Senate could very shortly vote on the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure agreement that the Senate uh, recently agreed to. So this would spend $1.2 trillion over eight years. It would uh, fund all sorts of crazy things related to the environment, related to things unrelated to uh, transportation. Uh, Even in a bipartisan agreement, it's uh, horrible. It will uh, massively increase our national debt as well. But even though the Senate will be voting on this bipartisan agreement. At the same time, the Senate Democrats also want to pass a separate agreement uh, that will be at least $3.5 trillion. And this would go even further than the $1.2 trillion bill. It would include all sorts of uh, agenda items unrelated to infrastructure, uh, things that would implement the Great Reset that would literally implement the Great Reset and the Paris Climate Agreement into American law. So it's very important that uh, everyone contacts their uh, U.S. representative and their two senators, telling them to vote against the so-called infrastructure bills, both the bipartisan one and the uh, partisan one the Democrats want to unilaterally pass. Uh, We're also looking at mass migration. What Democrats want to do is they want to pass a mass amnesty for illegal aliens via the process of reconciliation, which allows them to bypass the filibuster and pass it uh, with only uh, 51 senators. So this has never been done before, passing amnesty via reconciliation, Uh, but they want to do that. And even worse, the Republicans appear to be going along with the Democrats. Uh, Two senators, John Cornyn and Tom Tillis, who are Republicans, recently wrote a letter to Dick Durbin Democrat senator, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, asking to pass an amnesty for uh, DACA, the Deferred Action Program, uh, asking for an amnesty for that. So once again, you got to contact your U.S. representatives, contact your senators, tell them to oppose amnesty in any way, any shape, any form, uh, regardless of whether it's via the reconciliation method or via the regular process. And the last uh, very important alert I'll mention is 
uh, to contact your state legislators and Congress in opposition to vaccine passports. Um, Anthony Fauci, as well as the uh, other officials in the Biden administration have recently voiced their support for mandatory, mandatory vaccination. So yeah, it's very important that we stop this because this stuff is a lot closer than it seems. I mean, if we don't take action, uh, there will be a social credit system that'll be implemented in this country or at least in various states. Yeah, so to see these alerts, to contact your senators and to see other alerts that we have, uh, go to the Act Now, um, the Act Now section of JBS.org uh, to see all of our legislative alerts.